but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 86 of The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. And we're coming to you a little bit delayed, more so than we'd like to, with our, our mid-Wimbledon episode, because we had to fly out of town for some unforeseen family stuff that we had to tend to, and we're back in town today. Yeah, but as of about a half hour ago. <laughs> the good news is, though, that we were able to watch pretty much all of Manic Monday, so we come to you fully prepared and ready to chit-chat. <laughs> Yeah, um, so it's been a crazy week. I was unable to watch a lot of the tennis this week, so I'm glad I was able just to relax and catch all these matches on Manic Monday. Unfortunately, Rafa's match took almost a whole day, <laughs> and uh, there's just too much good stuff going on. Even with two channels going with ESPN, you miss so many matches. I will take TSN tennis coverage over ESPN any day of the week. Yeah, so in Canada, for those of you who don't know, we actually get a four, usually four different TSN streams, which is basically our ESPN. So a lot of times there are actually four different courts being shown, especially toward the beginning of majors. On our TV, not just because with ESPN, I guess a lot of folks are able to stream four or five different courts on their computer, but we get, we can flip through those four different channels on our, on our TV. Yeah. Which is good, because our Wi-Fi is not that great. I really don't like streaming matches. It just doesn't work very well for me. And I, I'm just kind of old. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to sit there with a tablet or a computer. I just want it on TV. It stresses me out. What we're going to do is we're going to recap a lot of the stuff that happened in week one before finishing up with all the Manic Monday stuff. Rafael Nadal is... Going forward with his lawsuit against Rosaline Bachelot, who is what the France France's minister of sport or former minister of sport, who defamed him, said that he was clearly doping, uh, that his returns from injury were so mysterious and unexplainable that they had to be attributed to drugs. He said, "I gonna sue her," and apparently he he is. I thought cooler heads had prevailed and the whole thing blew over, but I guess not. Let her bring those receipts if she has them. Back up that big talk. Mm-hmm. And piggyback your ass up. <laughs> Benny Tomic. Benny. Uh, so a lot of tabloidy stuff happened in the first week of Wimbledon. And that's probably just how the British tabloid press likes it. They like these licentious things to cover. But I feel like the the tennis itself, there weren't a lot of huge upsets in the first few rounds. And they were more than satisfied with the the dramatics of what was going on off-court. Well, Bernie gave them all the truth tea in his press conference. Mm -hmm. Tomic put in a listless performance on court, but gave a illuminating press conference afterward. He was clearly disinterested, struggling with motivation while he was playing. But he spoke very freely in press about being bored on court, which 
my god, in sport is a four-letter word, is just forbidden. He also said that he deployed an injury timeout as strategy, mm-hmm. which we know that everybody and their dead grandmother does yes. in tennis. Yes. However, they don't often admit it. It's not. It's okay as long as it's not spoken plainly. Mm-hmm. Azarenka did it famously in a Grand Slam semifinal against Sloane Stevens, and she went on to win the tournament in the next round, but Sloane called her out and said, I think that was gamesmanship. So Tomic is here saying, yeah, I wasn't really injured, uh, but I took a medical timeout anyway. He said, I just thought I'd try to break a bit of momentum to use that as my strategy because I was just playing very bad and feeling bad out there. Mm Mm-hmm. And for that, he was fined $15,000. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, do you think he would have been fined if he hadn't said those things in press? No, absolutely not. Right. So he was actually fined for the words that came out of his mouth after the match. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's appealing it because he said that he was just being honest. And while people are saying that the fine is for him calling for the doctor, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's about him saying that he was bored. Right. I I don't know where to start. I am no fan of Bernard Tomic, but I'm not going to line up and start whacking him over the head because of this. Because I think it highlights the fact that sport, while more glamorous than probably our line of work, is a job. It's what he does to pay the bills. And... Do you always love your job every day? I actually actively hate my job every day. <laughs> right. And so it's easy for us, for fans, to say, this is must be an amazing job. You get to travel the world, and all you do is practice and go to your matches and play, and that's it. But it's work. It, it is his job. And maybe he doesn't love it. And that's not necessarily a moral failing. This is something he's been doing and probably made to do since he was a child. Mm -hmm. It's not something he went to school for, got training for, is paying his college bills of his own choice and volition for this field. (laughs) You know? Right. It's entirely possible that after doing this for some 15-odd years now, that he's burnt out, that he needs a break, that he doesn't want to do it anymore. And if he doesn't want to do it anymore, then that's totally fine. And now he's stuck in a job that maybe that's all he's qualified for. Mm -hmm. And I'm not comparing him to the greats, but some of the all-time greats didn't want to do it. Andre Agassi wrote famously in his memoirs that he hated tennis, that he did not find enjoyment in it for a long, long time. And he was criticized for that after his career ended, for being honest in that way. Not everybody's going to be Rafa Nadal out there playing every point, regardless of circumstance, like his, his life depends on it. Right? Right. And so the fallout from this now is that Head, the racket manufacturer and his sponsor, they've dropped him. They dropped him so swiftly. Mm -hmm. These same people who stood by and went to bat and turned every mountain upside down to make sure that Michelle Pova was still on their, their roster. Right. And made sure, they went on the offensive to make sure everybody knew that they were 100% behind her, that she was a victim of an unfair ruling that she was clearly innocent. It was very distasteful at the time. And you remember the statement they put out? We criticized it very harshly on the show. Mm -hmm. But they were 
I mean, they didn't even have to think about dropping Tomic. And just forget about all this stuff about being bored and sort of violating the... The spirit of the sport. Right. With these unwritten rules surrounding sport. Head sees money. That's that's all they're concerned with. That's all they have to be concerned with. They couldn't afford to lose Sharapova. It's all smoke and mirrors. Because if she had been exonerated, then they would have lost a huge client. Now, for Bernard Tomic... What do you mean? Well, if they had dumped her... And then okay. it came sorry, gotcha. and and then it came to light that she had been exonerated by WADA, then they would have lost a huge client, they would have embarrassed themselves, and that's just money leaving the company. So they held on longer than one would expect per se, given that this morality is their MO mm-hmm. as they proclaim. Right. This mor- because they wants to make sure that they would not be losing out on that money. Of course. They took a calculated risk yes. keeping her. And all these companies have morals clauses. So, I, I mean, the company can do truly whatever they want because corporations imagine themselves as amoral, as, as being outside of morality. But the people that they pay to represent them have to uphold strong ethics and morals, right? But these morals clauses are not there to protect little Timmy and little Susie, who is then damaged for life because the athlete that they're sponsoring has gone awry and done something horrible, it's there to protect their own financial bottom line. Right. And so losing Bernard Tomic, especially at this stage of his career, is not really going to hurt them financially. They didn't stand to gain a lot by keeping him. So it was a it was a good way to show a little a little fake backbone and saying, you know, this is this is not the kind of person we want representing our company. It's bullshit PR. Because they probably have lawyers and people who are in the business of signing these people, these athletes, these clients, who told them, well, look, this is an easy way out for you. We've had many instances with Tomic before in the past. We can probably predict that there's going to be more, if not worse, in the future. Mm -hmm. And so this is somebody who's not going to affect your bottom line one way or another. So it's just the smart decision to let him go. right? Right. This is just a business decision through and through. It has nothing to do with ethics or morals or none of that bullshit that they're telling you. And for me, if he doesn't feel like playing tennis, if it's a chore for him, maybe he shouldn't play tennis or maybe he should take a break. I mean, I don't know anything about his personal life or his family life, but this is a young man whose famous father beat up his hitting partner. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. I mean... It's. It was a very ugly situation, and you do kind of have to wonder what kind of guy is this. Is Bernard's father? What what is their life like together? He has a fraught history in his teen adolescent years. Mm-hmm. Like this is not coming out of nowhere, right? Right. Anyway, that's enough on that. Always question these fucking companies and their morality bullshit. Yes, and the Olympic spirit does not translate to week in and week out going to work. An athlete is a worker, regardless of how much money they make. In other what the hell was that news, Daniel Medvedev, he was fined 14.5k. <laughs> That's what I have right. 14.5 carats? Yeah. <laughs> 14,500 pounds. Yeah. Which I guess is a big old diamond ring, so mm-hmm. maybe. The cost of one, You'll, that is. Right. You'll remember, well, I wouldn't know. We, we don't have diamonds. <laughs> 
<laughs> You'll remember he beat Stan Wawrinka in the first round here. Was lauded, obviously. But little things started to come out. Thanks to a few little birdies on Twitter. Amy Featheroff being the main one. So we'll get to that. But in this tournament, he was fined after his second round match against Bemelmans. Mm-hmm. Which he lost. And there was some conflict during the match with the umpire, with the opponent. And as the players were leaving court, were packing up, he takes out, you know, his little change purse and starts launching coins toward the chair. The implication then, I guess, is that the umpire was on the take, right? Uh, that he could I, be bought for... I assume that's what it meant. How many pounds of silver? Is it the biblical reference? Pounds of flesh. Oh, that's that's Shakespeare. That's Merchant oh. of Venice. Oh, yeah. Wow, this is so yeah, embarrassing. You are the literature major. And Ju- Jesus Christ Superstar is my, like one of my favorite movies, so I should really know this. <laughs> some some coins, silver coins. Okay, <laughs> fine. Uh, it's just really fucking rude, is what it is. And bizarre. It was a very strange incident. I have never seen anything like it on a tennis court, Where did he especially get the, at Wimbledon. Where did he get this change purse from? Like, mm-hmm. Is he taking transit to and from the site? Oh, I wonder. I bet the tube doesn't use tokens anymore. But do you think they were pound, like uh, British coins or Euro coins or... Uh, bizarre. So he was fined, like three separate fines that totaled that 14 blah blah blah. But the other thing that he had done... Last year, what had he did? What he did was playing Donald Young in a lower level match. It may have been an ITF. It event. was uh, the the Savannah Challenger okay. last year in 2016, and I totally forgotten about it. Probably because I didn't know who he was at the time. Mm-hmm. And but I remember when it happened. I remember watching the video. He was defaulted from a match because he was saying to the umpire that. The umpire was biased in favor of Donald Young because they were both black. Saying that, I know you two are friends. Mm-hmm. And so he was defaulted for unsportsmanlike conduct. Mm-hmm. And this is the guy again. You would never know it from how charming he was in his post-match interview right. after beating Stan. You watch that and you're like, oh my god, wow, this guy has... He has charisma. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but turns out he's just a bit of an asshole. Well... I, you, a lot of people with big personalities who are charismatic are also assholes. It's not mutually exclusive. But he he did this thing in both incidents where it was like, no, no, I didn't mean that. Or After the Donald Young racist incident, because that's what it is. It And it was also echoes of what Leighton Hewitt did against James Blake many mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. That I, I think a lot of people were happy to forget. He said, he apologized right after and said, you know, I, I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry for saying that. And after this incident at Wimbledon, I was like, no, it didn't it didn't mean anything. It was just something weird that I did. I'm like, okay, you need to grow up. This is Bush League behavior, very childish. Leave that in the juniors because it's I don't know if it's cute there, but it's sure as hell not cute here. The big, big news for me in the first week is Venus Williams mm-hmm. for many, many reasons. She's in the quarterfinals. We'll get to that later on. By the time you have listened to this, she may or may not still be in the tournament because the quarters and the fourth round are played on back-to-back days. Mm-hmm. And she's first up on center court, no less, tomorrow. So oh, She's actually been bumped to second match. 
That's amazing. That means I'll get to watch it. Yes. I'll get some sleep and I'll yeah. get to watch it. Djokovic and Manorino are up first. Wonderful. Best news I've had all week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so last time we came to you, we were hesitant to discuss the car accident incident that Venus was involved with that came to light via TMZ in the immediate lead up to the tournament. And then she was asked about it in press and she eventually broke down and had to leave mm-hmm. the press room. Because we didn't really know what was going on. We didn't have the facts. We didn't want to be disrespectful to a dead person. Of course. And Venus was obviously deeply affected by it. It's it's a horrible situation, no matter how you cut it. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the police department in Florida, shocking that this, ha- this would happen in mm. Florida, right? Had stated that Venus was at fault for failing to obey the right of way or something like that. And watching Venus in that press conference, you'd be like, oh my God, this is somebody who's going through it, who has the guilt of possibly causing somebody's Mm -hmm. death, who may actually be at fault in like the legal sense. And who believes that had she not been there, this person would still be alive, right? Like that's a lot to carry. And two things. For the life of me, I wish that the police department had shown the same caution that we did in the previous episode. Mm, Interesting. And done their bit of due diligence before opening their damn mouths. And two, the class of Venus Williams is endless. Mm -hmm. Because you are in that position where you know full and damn well you did nothing wrong. And you have not said one word to espouse your innocence in this situation. When you are being done wrong, left, right, and center. Right? Yeah. But... Uh, to be fair, there was an investigation going on, and there was a civil proceeding. So she really couldn't talk about it. Sure, and sure it, but you get my point. Yeah. You know, you know the Sharapovas of the world would find a way to have some cheeky, snide, backhanded comment in there to begin that defense mm, yeah. PR war, right? I mean, Venus has always try to remain above the fray in tennis. She has this reputation of being all class all the time. So it's not surprising that this is how she handled the situation with grace in in a situation that's truly impossible to, to know how to deal with when she's trying to win Wimbledon at 37 years old. Mm-hmm. And finally, Serena's not there. Right. And like, this happens. This could, we say this from grand slam to grand slam now, because she's been in the fight, the second week of slams consistently for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. But this could be her last best chance. <laughs> right. Her best last chance. But I'm I'm glad that we have said that several times now. Yeah. She keeps giving herself last best chances. Yeah, but yeah. then it's complicated by this mess. Right. You then have to play these high stakes, high intensity matches with this added emotion and dark clouds shrouded over you. Right. So I don't think we actually spelled out clearly, for those who may not be keeping up on the story, a video was released by TMZ, uh, I guess security footage, that showed the accident, showed Venus pulling forward on her green light, a car cutting her off, turning left in front of her, and consequently she was stuck in the intersection while the light turned, and the other car just barreled into her. And so... From a criminal point of view, she wasn't under investigation, but it's clear that she was not at fault in the accident. 
I do wonder what the status of the civil proceedings are. I, I don't know if there's still a case. or well, The video don't lie. I know the police right. is saying she's not at fault. So I imagine that that will go away. But you want to talk about that piece that Dave Zirin wrote. Mm-hmm. I do. Because Dave Zirin is always out here. I was absolutely not surprised that Zirin wrote a very thoughtful piece about the situation while also showing respect to the victims of the accident. He's just, he's been there for a long time for Serene and Venus. His instinct is to defend them. And he criticized the police harshly for putting it out there in the public that Venus was technically at fault. Because how irresponsible. The police have immunity when they say something false. You know, if, the, if they put wrong information into the public by accident, they are immune from legal recourse. Like, that's just how it works. We are, are not. <laughs> you know, anyone else is not. Journalists aren't. We, we can be sued, you and I. That's why we try to be a little more responsible in how we talk about this. But imagine the power, how that shaped the discourse. Every single article that was written about this accident said, police said, Venus Williams was technically at fault, although she wasn't ticketed or fined. But that's not scene. how those salacious headlines well, are exactly. written. So it went all, that across Venus the, caused an accident. went all across the world saying that Venus killed this dude. Mm-hmm. And they were given permission to say that because the police said she was at fault. Mm-hmm. And <sighs> as Zirin said in his piece, it's unfortunate that she had to be asked about to impress. But my position was... It would make it makes sense that she was asked about it. Right. You felt differently. A lot of people felt differently, but I don't see any scenario in which a story like this breaks and Venus, being Venus at Wimbledon, especially, isn't asked about it. Well. It... My issue was the way she was asked about it. Mm. The question was beaten around the bush multiple times by multiple people in very vague, abstract ways that Venus was able to deflect multiple times before somebody got a little bit more specific. Mm-hmm. And then that caused the emotional response. Very simply, you get that out of the way right off the bat. Somebody take the bullet, decide they're going to ask it. Well, somebody tried to ask it first off. Mm -hmm. So whoever that person was should have come correct and been very direct. Get it out of the way and then move on. Right? Instead of having this slow build of beating around the bush and not hitting it head on. Right. And it was also a dumb question. So many of these questions are are just not formulated with very much thought. So it's like, Venus, we saw your Facebook post to the family and friends of the victim. Would you like to say more about your statement? Well, no. She made a statement, so that's what she wants no, to but say. That's, that's the last I, one. That's that, a dumb question. That's the last one. Yeah. That that addressed it directly. In a, in a silly way. Fine. Mm. But the ones that led up to it were all like... Oh, how have you been feeling this past month? With everything that's like, been going on. wink, wink. It was just, it was insulting yeah. to her. She's like, I've been fine just focusing on my tennis. Mm. Like, what are you, what are you asking me about here? Right. That's all I want to say about that, because it's really <laughs> enraging to me. Mm. So, girl, bye to that police department. Moving on to Wimbledon. Are we, the, are we girl buying the All England Club? Them as well. <laughs> <laughs> For several reasons. Yes. And we're going to defend Novak Djokovic in a little while, surprisingly. But for this reason, center court scheduling. I know, I know, every year, every year we go through this, you're probably tired of hearing it, but it's ridiculous. 
By the third round, Venus is the only former champion who hasn't been scheduled on center court. And this is after the only time she played on center court last year was in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. Because she was in the semifinals. (laughs) Right? It was by default. There was nowhere else she was going to play unless the the tournament was seriously hampered by rain. Well, not even because they have the roof. They could have yeah. gotten it done at the semifinal well, stage. Last year, she only played on center court because they literally had no choice. Mm-hmm. And so this was something that was building, building, building. Get to the third round, she's playing Naomi Osaka. An obvious choice on most occasions. Yes. Granted... You want to talk about next gen, Yeah. right? Granted, there were other British options. On the woman's side other enticing matches on the woman's side. So on any given day of the week, you wouldn't necessarily bat an eye. But the cumulative effect of this fucker over the last two years is that it was yet another instance where Venus was disrespected. Right? And it's and it's not just Venus, though. Because this is a, a symptom of an old Wimbledon tradition that on center court, there are two men's matches and one women's. Yes. Every day. That is the unwritten rule. Because today, Kerber and Muguruza were in court too. Right. Which is absolutely you ridiculous. You have the, the two most recent runners-up in mm-hmm. the women, the Wimbledon ladies tournament, who are both playing well at this tournament, who are both kind of getting their groove back, so to speak. It's absurd. And they put in a great performance and an exciting match. And Kerber actually came out and said... Why are we on court two? Well, she was asked. Yes, but she said she was also considering speaking to the organizers of the tournament. Because not just for her match, she's been noticing that the scheduling doesn't really sit well with her. Mm-hmm. And that's more bold than Kerber generally is. Yeah. This is what they do. It, it It's entirely to do with the two-to-one ratio on center court. Yes. How many times do we need to see Roger Federer beat somebody in straight sets on center court? The premise is either one of two things. Either that you think that men's tennis is a bigger draw slash a better product. Or two, that you think that men's champions are the only ones that should be celebrated mm-hmm. like that. I mean, real like, seven men's titles are worth, like, 15 women's titles to them. Don't you think? <laughs> Venus is not that far behind. No, Ven- five. Venus has seven. Yeah. And multiple doubles titles. Yeah. And is a legend of the game. What else is at play here, likely is that some of those old white dudes are none too pleased that they have to be paying these women equally well, because of Venus Williams. I, We won't be able to prove it, but my view has been for a long time, since they granted equal prize money, that Venus Williams embarrassed the club, so much so that the Prime Minister of Great Britain, or of the United Kingdom, put pressure publicly on the All England Club that, listen, this needs to stop. You need to pay the women equally. That's humiliating for the All England Club, or it should be. (laughs) If they don't feel that it is, it should be. It's so petty because the the difference in prize money was fairly nominal. It was a a pointed statement to pay them less. Mm -hmm. So I think that some people in the organization hold resentment toward Venus. They clearly don't value women's tennis as they do men's, um, there's no denying the popularity of Roger Federer at Wimbledon. He's clearly the biggest draw, like far and away. I think probably even more than Andy Murray. He's he's the biggest draw everywhere he goes. Right, That's right. the reality of but Roger Federer. London has adored Roger Federer since 2003. They treat him as one of their own. But why not give fans who can't get on center court a chance to see him before he retires? 
put him on court one, which is also a big court. Just one time. Which is one, his second round match. I, I don't really, I just don't get it. Because it's not just about Venus. We're sensitive to issues around the Williams sisters. That's just who you and I are. Uh, but it's it's the devaluing of women's tennis by this tournament. And this tournament continues to do whatever the fuck they want. That's what makes them Wimbledon. But it we're still allowed to complain about it. First round prize money. We'll deal with this quickly because it's been talked about a lot. And I feel like the solution is very clear to many people now, except the pars at B. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we saw, what was it, seven first-round retirements combined on the men's and women's side. The majority of them men, I think six of them were men, where they show up a la Tipsarevich, and when you're down 1-5 in the first set, you're like, okay, I'll collect my check now. Mm-hmm. I did enough. Not because you're like, I don't want to play, or I'm bored, or whatever. It's because you're legit injured, but you still want to show up and collect that, what, $50,000 check? Yeah, it's a big check for these players. It's the biggest check they'll see all year for a lot of them. And that's a huge issue, frankly, especially at Wimbledon, where people have lined up for hours, sometimes overnight, Mm -hmm. sometimes for days, to get in that damn queue. I don't care how many times people want to talk about how fun it is. It looks like a certified nightmare <laughs> to me. Yeah. I If it's fun for you, cool, but I really can't see myself doing it. Like, in my 20s, I might have been down for that. <laughs> Maybe. Can you drink outside there? Probably, right? Yeah, people are drinking Pims and champagne and okay. all that stuff, which, which helps. But then, you, where do you use the bathroom? Because if you're drinking mm. for that long to make it tolerable, you're using porta potties the whole time? I, I think not. Diapers? <sighs> anyway... So the solution is clear. Do you want to tell us what the solution is? Yes. It was, I don't know if it was Andy Murray's idea, but he has Many talked about it. Many people have said it. Wardheim, yeah. Andy Murray, James Blake, lots of folks. So if we start from the premise that the players who have retired have earned their spots, have earned the ranking points, or, or come through qualifying, they, they belong in their place in the draw. Pay them the check and let them sit out. And in their place... We put a lucky loser, someone who lost in the last round of qualifying, because, and I didn't even know this, this is embarrassing, lucky losers are not paid in the main draw unless they win a match. So it's a it's a zero-sum thing here. Yeah. Like you're not losing money if you put in a lucky loser, because if that person loses, you don't pay them. Over time, think how much money these slams have pocketed because of lucky losers not being paid mm-hmm. and losing. Right. So like, just create a... Create a purse where an etc. fund to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And because when when you spend a lot of money or wait overnight in line to see Djokovic or Federer play, and they play for a half hour or they play one set because their opponent retires, that sucks for the fans. It really does. Like I really feel for the fans in that situation. And those tickets are not but, cheap. But I don't blame the injured player because tennis is a hard sport. Travel is not covered. They pay all their own expenses. They need that check. The other bit of salacious news. Do you want to talk about oh, that? Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> are we being responsible here? We are. talking about no, this? No, we are. Nick Kyrgios lost in the first round. He's been injured. He's been struggling with this, this hip problem mm-hmm. for a while. Which he says will require surgery at some point. Oh, that sucks. And he seems to be kind of down not in the greatest headspace so here he is caught on tape 
partying at clubs in London. With a cigarette in hand. Oh, oh, oh my god. Oh my lord. A 20-year-old smoking a cigarette. Whereas you had players in the 80s with, like, coke coming out of their nose on the tennis court. <laughs> as we know. <laughs> but Kirio smoked a cigarette. He was gallivanting with uh, some young ladies. Uh, but he is engaged to a, f- a tennis player. Ayla Tomlanovich. Yep. Thank you for pronouncing that for me. There's so many J's. I don't know what to do with. Uh, a fellow Australian. And, he, I mean, he seemed to be quite devoted to her. When she was injured, he was by her side, mm. and uh, they seemed to be happy, but, man. We don't know if this is what was happening. Right. He could have just been out with his girlfriends having fun. True. As in, like, these are my friends and they're girls. Exactly. They, they could just be friends. Whatever. Straight people can do that. But, man, the tabloid press in Britain just went mad with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And And then Isla disappeared from various social media. Her sister, there was this cryptic message to about coming from my family, I'll defend my family kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So this all fueled the fire. It was like just another piece of messiness to to the curious pie. I mean, and then the Daily Mail just, like, heaped manure upon shit. Like, they identified the young women by name. I guess they're former... Really? Yeah, they're former junior tennis players that Nick had known previously. Um, And then they interviewed one of the girl's fathers who said that he wanted to knock out Nick. And talking about how his daughter is very sweet and he doesn't want to see her out all night. Oh, my God. Like, what? (laughs) See, this is why... This is garbage. Listen, I don't even... I don't even want any part of this. Like, I don't even want to know... Like, don't want to talk about it? I really don't. Like... (laughs) No. I guess, I mean, at another time in my life, this would have been just amazing. It's just... I would have eaten this up. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) I'm just too grown for this mess right now. I know. And when I heard about this, I realized that we're giving it airtime, which may seem like a contradiction. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I'm like, why? Why do we care that Nick is out with other girls if he's cheating, if he's not? Like, it does not affect my life. It doesn't really affect only the the two people involved in their relationship. And it, it sucks, but it's basically none of our business. Moving on. The major upsets of week one. The one that shocked me the most was David Ferrer beating Gasquet. Uh, I was absolutely floored by that. Yeah. I think it was even like four sets. It didn't even go five. Flummoxed. Because Ferrer has shown none of that form. And on grass. Yeah. I ch- Stan, we know, lost to Medvedev. Mm. Which, which, I mean, nobody really seemed surprised. No, everybody kind of pointed to it as a really tough first round match. As did we. Mm-hmm. And this dude obviously has a lot of talent, and Stan was not at his best. Right. And it's also Stan on grass. Despite him bringing on Anacone to aid his chances this year, it was always going to be a tough proposition. Mm-hmm. And a few people pointed out that he has lost in the first round of Wimbledon several times. Mm-hmm. But I thought I felt like his form in the past few years would have outweighed that. He's still only ever gotten to the quarterfinals, mm-hmm. and he did that last year, right. I believe. So, uh, that was what it was. Similarly, uh, another player who was kind of turning around their Grand Slam 
success. Trajectory, yeah. Carolina Pliskova. We, I, in particular, just kind of repeat this mantra now that you just kind of expect Pliskova to make the second round, mm-hmm. second week of, of Grand Slams now, because she's not the player that she was even a year ago, where she had failed to, to make the fourth round of a slam at any major before. Mm-hmm. Because here she is reaching the semis on clay yeah. at Roland Garros. And so Quarters saying... in Australia, final in, in uh, Flushing. She was one of the favorites, could still be number one at the end of this tournament, despite losing early. But there she went, losing to Ribarikova, who played an outstanding match. Like That was one of my favorite memories of week one, watching Ribarikova carve her up mm-hmm. on grass. Because mm. that kind of throwback tennis is such a treat to watch. Ribarikova had been out of the game for a while, had several surgeries was in like the, ranked in the 450s or the 460s earlier this year and has just been on a tear has won i believe 6 ITF titles rebuilding her ranking slowly but surely well actually m- quickly more quickly than most but she uh, she beat Coco at Roland Garros and she will play Coco in the quarterfinals here lord if she were to do god's will and bidding one more oh, time. Oh, my lord. Let it be done. She will be etched into the body serve history books. What what kind of book can we create to put her in? Oh, I don't know. She'll be in the body serve hall of fame for historic achievements aiding <laughs> the good of humankind. Wow. It, would she be the first <laughs> entrant? She might well be. <laughs> <laughs> From your lips to Beyonce's ears. <laughs> Uh, Coco is out here playing good ball, and you just watch every round go by, and you're like just side eyeing the result because you feel the bullshit coming. Mm-hmm. You just feel it. Because listen, Coco is one thing, but I do not want to see Mr. Patrick Cash have more success. Onto another instance, yet another instance of Serena Williams fans being messy unnecessarily and mean spirited and dark sided. Are you talking about me? Uh, not this time. <laughs> Mandy Manella shows up at Wimbledon, and uh, she loses fairly routinely in the first round. And after it's revealed that she's pregnant, quite a few months pregnant, and showing, and the reason why she was wearing a flowy dress on court, mm. people are like, oh my god, this is such a great thing. This is so wonderful that she's out here doing this while pregnant. And a lot of people, a lot of women in particular, pointed out that, you know, well, women can do shit when they're pregnant. Right, right. First of all. Her doctor said, listen, there's no risk for you to play in this tournament. Yeah. You're fine. And she's not not just a little bit pregnant. No. <laughs> like, she will have the baby this year. <laughs> and then there are a couple of messy headlines comparing her playing pregnant in the first round to Serena. And that's all the Williams, this, what do you call them? The Serena Army? Mm, Rena's Army. Rena's Army. That, that's all they needed to go full ham in tearing her down. Right? Yeah, like, why you gotta be like that? It was a stupid headline. People were talking mess unnecessarily to get clicks. Just leave it at that. Nobody's like, saying she's Serena. Right? Like, tear down those articles, tear down those headlines if you want. Right? But mm. you just don't be shitting on Mandy Manello. Listen, the, the John McEnroe's and the Margaret Courts of the world would prefer us fighting amongst ourselves. They would prefer 
women to be clawing at each other. Yeah. It's it's not this is not something that's worth fighting. Rena's army have a distinct ability to distract from the real issues at hand mm. in just being messy unnecessarily. That's all I'm going to say about that. I've said it before. I'll probably get a lot of shit for saying it again. <laughs> but like this was totally unnecessarily. And congrats to Mandy Manello. Good for you. On to one of probably my second favorite thing of week one. <laughs> okay. Now, I... you were telling me that we don't need to talk about this. Why we have such a long agenda. Why are we talking about this? You hadn't even seen the video yet. Yeah. You're referring to the ATP video with Taylor Fritz and family mm-hmm. about his family life. I thought it was like, mm, do we really want to be mean like that? And, what, what, and then I watched the video and was like, okay, it's it's weird, but but still. What did we learn? That we learned that he is the world's best 19-year-old father. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when they said, uh, Jason Goodall, I think, was narrating it and saying... Even though he's a father and has a family, he still finds time what, what to live his life. To or live his life at all. Dot, 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 as a teenager. And I'm like, say what now? I'm like, is, he, is this shade? He's still a teenager? Is, is the ATP officially throwing shade at <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Fritz? Like, like, listen, fatherhood is death. Like, you, you may as well just get a wheelchair after you have a baby, up, according to them. But listen, he, st- he can still play video games. It's not all that bad. Right. Thank God. He can still live his life oh my and word. play video games. And this is coming on the heels of that effing, f- freaking idiotic question to Victoria Azarenka about whether she took inspiration from Roger Federer returning to the tour after having a baby. And she should have been like, well, how many goddamn nannies does he have? Or how many children has he carried in his uterus and delivered? <laughs> uh, I mean, and to her credit, she did not back down. She didn't swear. I mean, I would have. But she said, no disrespect to Roger, but no, I did not use him as a an inspiration. Oh, kudos to Vika, because it's not the first time she's dealt with an asinine question like that with grace and fought back. Yeah. You would think, like, women have been having babies for a long time. You'd think that, that men would, like, kind of catch on. And also, like. there's this sick culture in tennis and in professional sport, but especially in tennis, maybe because we're closer to it, where these men who have children are celebrated as being groundbreaking, like, earth-shattering, never-done-this-before fathers. Mm. Well, it's it's because pregnancy and childbirth are treated as a disability. You know, like, rather than a, a normal part of life for, for people who want it, it, it's seen as a handicap. But it's it's for men, it's celebrated as, oh, this thing that will spur them on to greatness. Mm, well, whereas yeah, whereas yeah. M- women, it's like, oh my god, your career is <laughs> over. How many people have we... Just this weekend, we were having conversations with people and we're like, yeah... I don't think Serena's going to make it back. You know, she's going to mm. take one look at that baby <laughs> and, <laughs> and realize she's just going to never want to work again. <laughs> she's just going to want to stay home and nurture and care for that baby. Mm. You and know, the way we, way we frame these narratives around men and women and child rearing are totally different and totally sexist. And this is 2017. Like we know that women can do more than one thing. Yes. One of those things, including child rearing. 
At the same time, if Serena does look at that baby and say, I want to be a mother first and not play tennis again, that's going to have to be okay. Yeah, and that's Because her- in, in any other career, that would be acceptable. Uh, I would have a big problem with it, but philosophically and ethically, I would have to say, no, I get it. That's her choice. But the point is that's mm. her choice. Exactly. It's the woman's agency. It's not men and other people telling them what to do with their lives, their bodies, their careers. Mm. But back to Taylor Fritz. Like this was some, it felt like some kind of PR job to try and paint him as this good father after people are mocking him all over these Twitter streets <laughs> as being a deadbeat dad. Yeah. For like, oh, I don't have time. It did feel a little like damage control, right? Yeah, it felt forced. Like they were laying it on pretty thick. And there's one point where he's saying, you know, you know, I don't have every second of every day to spend with little Jordan. But when I do get the few moments I have after I've done everything else in my life for the day, <laughs> those extra two minutes, he gets all of them. <laughs> You're so rude. That baby is super cute, though. <laughs> Very cute. Moving on. Donna Vekic playing really well again after winning a tournament on grass leading up to Wimbledon. She pushes Kanta to 9-7 in the third and the two share an emotional embrace at net afterward. One of the standout matches of week one. Really? And she had beaten Conta at Nottingham in the final. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, it seems like she's turning over a new leaf. She's still very young. She has a lot of tennis ahead of her. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, and you you sort of changed my mind, or sort of changed my mindset about Donna Vekic and, and how, how we maybe should change the way we look at her. Mm. And and this showing at Wimbledon definitely helped because she's showing that she really wants to be out here, that she's a real competitor. That I knew she had real talent, but I wanted to see uh, like the fire again. She also got wrapped up in the mess of the scandal surrounding yeah. her relationship yeah, with yeah. Stan in ways that he doesn't have to deal with. Well, exactly. I mean, he was the one who was married and who had a child. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm going to resist saying the obvious <laughs> joke but she was a, a very young woman at the time and uh i don't think should shoulder the same responsibility that he does and a lot of people want to put even more responsibility on her yeah and the fact that he's winning a few grand slams here or there does not mean that he's immune from it mm-hmm. he's yeah. the one who should bear the full brunt of that i mean mirka's been trying to give it to him and y'all won't let her. <laughs> I have this bullet point written here that the men's event is another snooze fest. Manic Monday did a little bit to rectify that. It did, yeah. Uh, I did write that before Manic Monday, but prior to that, it was just another ho-hum, run-of-the-mill men's event where the women are turning in the more mm. exciting matches. I would agree. And if you look at, well, we'll get to that as well, the quarterfinal matchups on the women's side, I'll take those every day of the week over what I'm getting on the men's side. Yes, definitely. In our preview episode, you had said, you give me kudos for Vekic, I give you kudos mm. for this. All right, I'll, I'll gladly take this it. This little tit for tat that we're doing here. You had said to look out for that 11 to 15 ranking section on the WTA, that that's where most of the favorites were situated, and that's where you would look for the winner to probably come from. Yes. And lo and behold... We still have Venus, Ostapenko, and Muguruza all in the quarterfinals. Yep. Of those five spots, Kvitova was out. 
which is probably always going to be a little bit too much of an ask for her, albeit kind of a surprising loss to Brangle in the second mm-hmm. round. But in hot weather, uh, you know, she just might not be match tough in conditions that are not optimal for her. Mm-hmm. And then Ladenovich loses to Allison Risk in the second round. Risk, who is a solid grass court player, and the two are playing a match on a on a shitty court. Mm. And we we know this about Risk that she is dangerous to almost anyone on a grass court. So, but I I feel kind of vindicated that three of those five people I called out are still there. Ostapenko has followed up her French Open really nicely. Just got through a match in straight sets for the first time in years, it seems. <laughs> She's not afraid of a three-set match. Uh, Venus is still in it and will face Ostapenko in the quarters. And Muguruza, this is another one of my predictions, with Conchita. I, I don't know if Conchita uh, should get all the credit, but Muguruza really seems to be recapturing a little bit of her mojo at this tournament, which I, I thought would happen. Look, Conchita is one of the unsung heroes of tennis, period. Because mm-hmm. she's out there at all those Spanish men's tennis matches. She's the Davis Cup captain. She has been the Fed Cup captain before, I believe. She is subbing in for Sam Sumik as Muguruza's coach. She's a renaissance woman. She does everything. <laughs> and a former Wimbledon champion. Yeah, and she's able to navigate the Spanish tennis situation with a plum well when you know this macho boys club right uh so big ups big big ups to conchita martinez the last two bits of this lead into manic monday vera's vonareva won an itf event in egypt she is back i think she got something like 12 ranking points yeah she's playing very small events but she she won in a like a three-hour match it seems like she's serious about this comeback, and welcome back. Yeah. She's a she's a character. Uh, it, it's easy to forget that she made it all the way up to number two. She faced Serena in two Grand Slam finals, and she is a talent. This Gatorade commercial with Serena. Yo, I wasn't, I was like on my phone, I wasn't even paying attention, and then you're like, oh my god, Serena's on it. No, I was like, did you see that? And like, you're like, no. No. It's so like, we're watching your favorite TV shows. And I'm like, oh my oh, God, yeah. can, can you see? Oh my, oh my God, God, that just happened. And you're like, what happened? I'm like, get off your damn phone. I don't watch commercials. All right. <laughs> we were, well, we were watching Mean Girls and flipping back and forth between that and Golden Girls and Superbad. Uh-huh. It was like the best TV ever. <laughs> <laughs> it took us back to the start of when we first started dating, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And... In that commercial, you have all these iconic athletes beat the Mannings, beat Michael Jordan, talking about their lowest moments and and what makes you successful. And they're telling you that it's failing in those moments that spur you on to success. And Mm -hmm. there's Serena toward the back end of the commercial talking about how saying, yeah, losing in one of the biggest upsets in the history of your sport is something that makes you successful and i'm like say what now we're talking about this just casually i Mm -hmm. guess you got to get paid to talk about it uh has she ever talked about that publicly Uh, in so plain of terms i I, like i can't remember if she has i'm nor can i i was very surprised it was very bluntly spoken about and it took me all the way by surprise Mm. It's a pretty interesting conceit for uh, for a commercial. Yeah, it's pretty compelling. I thought it was thing. well done. Yeah, I mean, it meant I had to watch the Mannings, 
and see their mm-hmm. doofus faces. One in particular. Eli can go on, but... Say what now? <laughs> <laughs> Manic Monday. I started my day getting up before you, which I don't know when that has happened mm-hmm. last. I was up at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Standard wow. Time to watch Venus Williams beat Anna Kanya routinely, 6362. Mm-hmm. And Venus, it had shades of Kvitova in 2014. Venus was playing so well. The serving was just, oh, breathtaking. I had zero issues on serve. I think there was one game in the second set where she faced a break point and she quickly took care of that. Serving 120 miles an hour. Boom Boom Tennis. Coming off the back of playing Naomi Osaka and beating her in straight sets as well. That was clearly good preparation for playing another young ball mm-hmm. basher. Yeah. She played two consecutive opponents who were not born the first time she played Wimbledon. <laughs> Think about that. This this tennis granny is out here at 37 years old, dealing with all the bullshit that we talked about early in the episode. Mm-hmm. Trying to make the second week for the sixth consecutive Grand Slam. The only player in the WTA who has done that. And defend her semifinal points from last year. And she just did did the business. It was so impressive. Um, think about it. Her... When these girls were in diapers, her beads were falling off at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was winning Wimbledon titles and U.S. Open titles when these young ladies were in the playpen. She's been it, around so long that her next opponent, Ostapenko, is now telling folks that she don't really know that much about Venus Williams. <laughs> She's a fan of Serena Williams. She remember watching her matches, but don't really know much about Venus. Mm. Like, that's, that's, it's a 20-year age gap, yeah. pretty much. That's crazy. And you would never know it from watching her play. There were multiple points where we were gasping audibly yeah. in that living room at some of the shots that Venus was hitting today. Wow. <laughs> and that's someone you you marked as someone who would be a tricky opponent for her because she's on a roll. She plays so well on grass. But Venus just handled it mm-hmm. professionally. Just made her way through. And I'm really looking forward to seeing, well, I won't be able to see, but the matchup with Ostapenko, whom she's never played. Yeah, Ostapenko is on some kind of role. I would not be surprised if she wins that. Mm. But Ostapenko also has shown in this tournament that she's able to go away for a set and then come back and win. If Venus is in the form that she was in today, Mm. that might not be a luxury she has tomorrow. Venus may be able to capitalize on that quickly. Mm -hmm. You pick one. What do you want to talk about? Well, one match that I was flagging as one that I really, really wanted to see was Halep and Azarenka, and it uh, it honestly wasn't that exciting. It wasn't terrible, and I have to give all credit to Simona Halep, who played really well, who was just matching Vika shot for shot. Uh, Vika played well for the most part. She did. It's just like there's a... There's just kind of a level missing. Like, I think she just needs to get back in the groove of playing and winning these matches against top players. Because Simona is a top player. So, I think Azarenka acquitted herself well at this tournament. And I don't, you know, I don't think that she's a a Wimbledon winner, per se. 
It's not. She could be if she, she had could. been playing consecutively from having started the year with one loss through Indian Wells last year mm. and continued to build on that. There's no reason why she couldn't have won this particular tournament. But having taken all that time off, it just yeah. was not yeah. going to be in the cards this time around. And I want to point out that Simona Halep played exceptional tennis. She did, yeah. She looked impressive and aggressive and a lot more pop on her shots that we're accustomed to seeing. And maybe that's a function of playing on grass. But my, I'm telling you, coming off of losing that French Open final to Ostapenko, it's it's an achievement that she's shown what she's shown and is in the quarterfinals here again and is one match away from becoming number one. Yeah, see, that's something that surprised me because I wouldn't have even faulted Simona if she went away or she suffered just a kind of a brief downturn because that was such a devastating loss. She really seems to have put her head down and just gotten back to work. We've seen too, and I've seen it personally in press that Simona, while she can be an emotional player in court, she's fairly level-headed and aware in press. And perhaps that will rear its head if she gets back to another final. But it doesn't surprise me as much that she's able to compartmentalize it a little bit. Mm. Because I'm also wary of furthering this narrative that she's this basket case and we should be watch- we should be on Simona watch. Yeah. Right now for the, the next breakdown <laughs> because of this tragic loss. Because that's what we've been hearing from a lot of the tennis commentary. It's easy. Mm. What else? Big ups to Svetlana Kuznetsova, who's in her first Wimbledon quarterfinal, as you mentioned, since 2007. She beat Agnieszka Radwanska, who's a former finalist here. Uh-huh. I had said that in the last episode, in the preview episode, as kind of a detracting factor as to to negate your suggestion that maybe she could go deep and that she was one to watch. Mm. It's like, well, she hasn't made the quarterfinals <laughs> in 10 years, and she's done it. Yeah, so here she is, and she's going to play Muguruza, who, I'm man, uh, is not someone I would want to face, honestly, right now. Uh, this is also Muguruza. He's saying, to this day, she wakes up and is like, how the hell did I get to that Wimbledon final? Mm-hmm. She's saying she's still not comfortable on grass, but... To me, that's starting to sound like a Rafael Nadalism, who's saying, <laughs> who always says at the French, "No, I'm not the favorite to win this tournament," and that, not quite the same. No, thing. but it, not to say that Muguruza is the favorite here, but I think she is. She's downplaying her chances a bit by saying she she doesn't get the surface. Mm-hmm. What Zverev put the put a scare into Milos Raonic LLC. He won the first set and took Raonic to five, didn't get it done. And the commentator is saying, you know, Zverev is not ready to make that next step, but you're really not ready until you do it. Mm. So I, I don't really like that sort of language used for young players. The last two sets were fairly routine for Raonic. And a quarterfinal showing is where he should be, frankly, mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. tournament. He's last year's finalist, last year's beaten finalist. He's going to play Roger Federer again in the quarterfinals, a rematch of last year's semifinal. And on the way back from the States today, we were at your parents for yeah. the last few days. We were talking about it, and, and you said, well, Milos doesn't stand a chance. I'm like, what are you talking about? He, of course he can beat Roger. And then you pointed out, and it was a fair point to make, that last year, 
Federer was not the same player as he is this year. He was injured last year, and after that loss to Milos in the semifinals, he took the rest of the year off. Right. I think, uh, like, Raonic has a chance against Federer, but that victory against him last year was, I don't know, he may not be able to repeat that exact performance, because Federer is different. He's gonna ha- he just can't be broken. That's what it boils down to. He's gonna have to have his game, yeah. his serve game, mm-hmm. on point. Yep. Two days from now. I want to give a shout-out again to Caroline Garcia, because I have a, a vested interest in her at this point. Partly because of all the <laughs> Fed Cup bullshit she went through, but also because I, I pegged her as the breakout player for the year. And she made the quarterfinals at the French Open. She follows that up by making the fourth round, pushing hometown favorite Joe Conta to three sets today. And giving a fair to good acquittal of herself at this tournament. Mm. She can play on any surface. She's got game. And her service motion most mirrors mine. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I realized that today. I had, The last time I played tennis, I, I changed my service motion. And uh, it was to get the backswing going before the toss. Uh-huh. Because I, I realized that I wasn't getting my my swing through the ball Like a full in time. rotation? Yes. And I realized, like, oh, that's what my service motion must look like. I'm, you know, we are, like, the same. Coco Vandewey is out here trying to dark horse her way to the title. She beat Wozniacki in two sets. And she goes on to play Ribarikova, who beats Martic in three sets. Martic, too, who is, like Ribarikova, rising like a phoenix from the ashes this year. Just vaulting up the rankings. And so her star is rising again. But the match that you want to talk about, and, well, I guess we don't really want to talk about it because of the result, but the big marquee match, the match that every Grand Slam kind of has one of those before Championship Weekend that gets the non-avid tennis fans watching tennis for the last Mm. set or two. And Rafa Nadal found himself two sets to love down against Gilles Miller, found his way back through the third and fourth sets, and eventually lost 13-15 in the fifth. Ugh, man. These, so, it, these are the kind of matches that make you feel, as you're watching them, I wish there was a tiebreak in the fifth set. <laughs> this, it's a match that theoretically could go on in perpetuity, because the way tennis scoring mm-hmm. works. It was so stressful and so... Well, it gets to a point in the fifth set where it's really not enjoyable. Where for me, I don't even notice the quality of tennis anymore. I just want it to be over. Yeah, you. Tweeted, it's too stressful. You tweeted that these long five set matches, they're amazing until they become well, fucking kill me already. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, okay, so the first two sets, Rafa gets broken once in each set and loses the set. Like, this is grass court tennis. When you're playing a big server, someone who can volley, who's willing to play the old-fashioned one-two punch kind of grass court tennis, right? Yeah. You and lo- so there's... Uh, what can you do if you got broken? You lose a set where you have zero unforced errors. Mm-hmm. No. That's regular. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But this is to be expected. And Rafa just kind of puts his head down, says, well, I have to break in the third set if I'm going to survive. So break once, win the set... Break another time in the fourth set, win the fourth set. Now we're at even. This is a a one-set shootout. 
And unfortunately, when you're playing a player like Muller, uh, you're going to be at a disadvantage. Rafa was also serving second in the fifth set, which mentally is a disadvantage because your serve, you have to protect your serve every time, every game after six all because you will lose. It took me back to watching Agassi against Sampras on grass. It was... Mm. Right? Made me sick, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) But a player like Rafa is going to be at a disadvantage against a big server, someone who plays like Muller. And and this is like Federer, Roddick in the 9 final. Like, Federer is most likely going to protect his serve more easily. A breakdown of the stats... Rafa was plus 60 in his differential of winners to unforced errors. 77 to 17. That's nuts. Like, that's insanity. He had more aces than he's ever had in a match in his career. Previously, it was 18 or 19. He had 23 in this match with just two double faults. Mm. His serving was amazing. And the placement was amazing. Ultimately, what it came down to was break points converted because Rafa was only two of 16 or two of 18. And then he had something like five to seven in the fifth set. One of which he had a second serve on break point deep in the fifth set. And the lines person called the ball out. So we thought it was like, Oh, Rafa has the break. Mm -hmm. And then the chair correctly overrules, which then gives Mueller a first serve of course ace (laughs) (laughs) right he holds serve and rafa was serving second the entire set he saved four match points two at four five and the pressure of serving from behind the entire fifth set it's almost too much to overcome Mm -hmm. when you have somebody playing that kind of tennis so rafa held serve serving second 11 times in that fifth set Mm -hmm. seven of those coming to stay in the match and the tournament that's a lot of pressure and And a horrible position to be in knowing that you're playing so well and your stats are so clean and also recognizing as the fifth set went on that this guy Gilles Muller is not blinking that you can't count on him to to lose focus because it seems that as the set goes on, he becomes more and more focused. It was, I mean, all credit to him because every opportunity there was to choke or to blink or to miss a volley, like he was there. He was ready to serve a big one out wide and hit a perfect volley, get through the love 15, the love 30 points. It was just a really impressive performance from him. These weren't just serve easy volley type scenarios. These were serve tough volleys in a lot of instances. This was... Because Rafa's returns were so good. On occasion. Like, well, <laughs> He had issues with Not his, always. With his uh, positioning on return. Yeah, he... I'm surprised that... Well, not surprised, but he was standing so far back, even on second serves. And he felt like he had to, but I wonder if he could have created better angles if he had moved up. I mean, first serves, yeah. Stand way back. Do whatever you can to return. But the second serves, I feel like he could have taken more chances. This was always going to be a tricky match for Rafa. Gilles had 
the the best record on grass heading into this tournament, which doesn't necessarily mean much because we talked about on the last episode, not that many players are playing that much mm. leading up to Wimbledon. Yeah. But he was 10-1 and one heading into this match. He had won a title. He's playing the best tennis of his life. And his game is perfectly suited to grass. And Rafa is somebody who hasn't made the quarters of Wimbledon since 2011 for various reasons. For injury reasons, for facing opponents who were just too explosive mm. on that and, surface. And I mean, occasionally he just hasn't been playing that great. Yeah. But this this was a an upper well uh, an example of a year where he just got some bad luck. Yeah. And got the the worst opponent probably yeah. at this round. Like And if he had won, he would have faced Chillich, which is like again, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> so while it was horrible to watch in the end, <laughs> the spurts of it, you could appreciate how amazing this was because mm-hmm. they were playing just outrageous tennis in spots, especially in that fifth set. Like, you should not be doing this stuff in the fifth set of a slam match. And keep in mind that this is after Rafa smashed his head on the door frame. While they were walking out on court. Yeah, he was doing... He was doing his normal, like, you know, rocket launch, jumping up and down, and bashed his head on the ceiling. (laughs) And Mueller turned around and was like, what? And they start laughing. It's like, I'm okay, I'm okay. (laughs) Uh, I guess it's no surprise then that he was behind the eight ball to start. (laughs) Right. I was like, uh... Is he concussed? Uh, (laughs) The matchups for... The quarterfinals. On the women's side, the the top half, there is Kuznetsova versus Mogurutha, and then Vandewey versus Rubarikova. On the bottom half, there's Venus against Ostapenko. Mm-hmm. Call me Alona. Yes. <laughs> and Joe Kanta versus Simona Halep. I don't think I can handle Andy Murray and Kanta winning at the same time. I think tennis might just self-combust. And that will be the end of tennis. There'll be no more tennis going forward <laughs> because the British press will mm. just destroy everything. What do you make of those matchups? If you, I guess at this stage last time we made predictions, what do you, what do you think well, is going to happen? I think that the Venus Ostapenko matchup is probably the most exciting. I agree wholeheartedly. And that's not just because I'm a fan, but I think it's because they haven't played, because of the contrast in their age, because this is going to be just a huge display of Power. Power. And I love, I absolutely love all out hitting at Wimbledon. And we're also kind of low key fans of Astapengo's fearlessness. Mm, I mean, how can, like, how can you not it's respect endearing. it? So I, I hope that Rabarakova continues her streak and takes out the demon, Colleen. Uh, but they're, they're not matchups that I would have chosen before the tournament, but I, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if I'm going to pick winners, but I'll give you what I think the semifinal matchups will be. Uh, well, is, that's picking winners. No, as in for the tournament. I'm saying I'm not going to give you a winner of the tournament, men or women. Oh, oh okay. Come on, man. I'm going to give you who I think will be the semifinalists. I think we'll have on the top half, we're going to have Sveta versus Riberikova, and then we're going to have Venus versus Halep. All right. All right. Do you have any? No, I don't, I'm not going to do any predictions. I don't want to jinx anyone. So for the men, quarterfinals... Oh. Well, we can only give you three of the four because... 
Novak yes. Djokovic has yet to play. Oh, shit, we still have to talk about that. So while Rafa was going on and on and on into the fourth hour, Wimbledon is dragging its feet. They don't know what to do with Djokovic and Manorino's match. They were scheduled on court one after Nadal and Muller finished. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, center court is long vacant. Center court's just been closed up. So, you know, it's getting to be like an hour that center court is empty. And they're not making any decisions about... Is Djokovic going to play tonight? We're getting is it repo- going to be on court one? Is it going to be on center? We're getting reports that Djokovic is in the ATP official's office, mm-hmm. watching the match, waiting. Right. And eventually it, it becomes clear that they're not going to reschedule the match. They're not going to put it on center court. So he's first up tomorrow. He's the only quarterfinalist on the men's side who has the disadvantage of playing two days in a row. Their official reason... get the, Did you hear this? This ridiculous reason Mm -hmm. that the grounds were already very crowded and they feared uh, a public safety risk by people rushing over to center court and stampeding and and trampling everybody to get to center court if they put Djokovic there. Have you ever heard such a ridiculous excuse? That excuse may be valid, but it's only... An excuse because they waited so damn long yeah. and weren't proactive. Yeah. The time at which they would have made that announcement to make it finally happen, that could have been an issue. But they could have been proactive and given people lots of heads up before Federer was done his match. Like, this is something that could have for- been foreseen. You have Rafa. What is that? What What are they saying about what they think about Rafa? <laughs> if that they don't expect mm. him... To come back from two sets of love down. Mm. Because it's entirely foreseeable that Rafa would have been in the fifth set. So when he's down two sets to love, he's down two sets to one. Federer looks like he's going to be through Dimitrov in quick time. You get right on top of that and you say, well, we're making that change. Yeah. I, well, first I heard that the reason was they're, they're not having any more matches on center tonight because it needs a rest. Because this old boneyard is all tore up. Right? The, the the grass needs to to just refresh and and take a little nap. But then they give this stupid excuse that they didn't want people trampling each other to get to Djokovic, which is kind of funny, right? Like, it's, it's not like Roger. You're not going to bait me into that. <laughs> I'm not. No, no, because I'm not here gonna go there. we're trying our best to be fair to Novak because to me, this is grossly unfair that he has to play two days in a row beca- because of negligence what, well because what it really could have been fixed listen and this is just a sidebar i don't think manorino should even be in the tournament because of when he slammed into that ball kid we need to start defaulting players for this bullshit did you see that i did on a, on a changeover he basically arena spear layers this ball kid yeah and i mean i'm sure it wasn't on purpose but he wasn't watching where he was going. He is a professional athlete. This kid could have gotten hurt. Did he even apologize? It's ridiculous. I we, They need to start handing out defaults for this shit. What I want to say is one of the funniest moments of week one was when somebody tweeted. Well, there were two. One was when Medvedev was throwing all those coins at the chair empire and somebody said, well... Has anybody confirmed the reports that Boris was there picking them up afterward? <laughs> <laughs> that was some funny shit. 
And then the second one was when Djokovic and Federer, after their first round matches, when they were, they got those retirements, right? Mm. And they both played like a set. Djokovic made this joke that, well, you know, Raj and I were talking backstage saying, well, maybe we should go and play a practice set. And somebody was like, this is hilarious that Djokovic is intimating that Federer was actually making a joke with him because <laughs> we know that Federer don't like his ass. <laughs> right. As if Federer wasn't already halfway to Anna Wintour's country home in Jane Austen country to, to spend his time off. No, he had daddy duties to do. He was making a personal video and sending it in the mail to Taylor Fritz. Oh my Lord. He's how, like, this is how it's done. That's how it's done. I've got four. What's your excuse? <laughs> We've probably talked quite enough for one episode. We better wrap this up because I'm the one who has to edit this shit and it is running way too long right now. Yeah, and I have to go to bed. So <laughs> without further ado. We also want to say thank you to TYGS. I don't know, I'm not quite sure how that's pronounced or what it signifies. Tiggs. Tiggs, you gave us a lovely review on iTunes. We appreciate it. We are openly soliciting more reviews, good reviews. Hit us up on iTunes with those reviews. Also on Twitter, I'm Jonathan at Tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. And we are at The Body Serve on both Instagram and Twitter. We'll be back at the end of Wimbledon. Good luck to whoever's remaining at whenever you listen to this. <laughs> Till next time.